the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Abraham Lincoln warned that the philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation will be the philosophy of government in the next. Would you like to know what's being taught in today's classrooms? Welcome to Say What? with attorney Mark Schneider and Pastor George Roska Jr. They'll explore the issues facing children, parents, and society as a result of the public schools and the forces behind them. Say What? is the radio program of Protect Our Kids, which seeks to inform and equip concerned citizens about the looming crisis in American education. So listen in as your hosts, Mark Schneider and George Roska Jr., unpack the issues and organizations affecting our children. And now here's your hosts, Mark Schneider and George Roska Jr. Hello everyone, I'm George Roska. And I'm Mark Schneider. And we want to welcome you to today's episode 82 of Say What, where we talk about the threats to our children in the public school system, including the parallels between what we're seeing in American education today and George Orwell's classic novel, 1984. That's right, George. You know, actually, there's a bit of a debate about whose novel has proven more accurate. Aldous Huxley's Brave New World, which was published way back in 1932, or Orwell's 1984, which came later. Both are deserving of study as their predictions have proven eerily prescient. But today, we're going to focus on Orwell as he's more widely known. Indeed, his very name has become adjective or well. which means to connote a society controlled by propaganda, surveillance, manipulation of the past, and the denial of the truth. So before we get into this, George, it's important to note that You know, fact is always more nuanced and complex than any work of fiction can be. And Orwell's book, 1984, it's an allegory, but it's not a perfect allegory. So we don't want to overstate the claim here that everything he's predicted, you know, has come completely true. But then again, there is a reason why his name has become the objective it is. So, um, We recognize also that a lot of our listeners may not have actually read this book. Uh, I I tend to think, George, that if you're an older American, you know, if you're over 50, you you probably (laughs) read this material, you know, back in high school. But if you're younger than that, you may not have been exposed to it. So we're going to give you a little bit of personal background on George Orwell uh, before we get into the the comparisons. Uh, He was born actually... Uh, under the name Eric Blair. So George Orwell is a pen name, and he was born in British in India in 1903. Uh, he died fairly young at the age of 46 in 1950 in London from tuberculosis. Uh, he was educated at Eton, and this is sort of interesting. So as far as we know, uh, he was an atheist. Wow. Which makes his book even more telling because he is coming from a completely secular perspective in putting together what he thinks the future is going to be unless man is really careful. Um, as far as his personal background, he 
um, actually fought in the Spanish Civil War uh, on the side of the the Republicans against Franco and the and the fascist, and he was very seriously injured. In fact, he was uh, shot in the throat and uh, barely uh, survived. Fortunately, he did. And afterwards, he made his uh, his living as a novelist and a literary critic. Uh, his first well-known book uh, was published in 1937, uh, The Road to Wigan Pier, about life in the coal mines. And then his really notable book, Animal Farm, mm. which which is another famous book that, yeah. that he wrote, which was published in 1945. But what he's even more known for, of course, is the novel uh, 1984, which was published in 1949. Uh, he wrote it. Uh, from a farmhouse in Scotland where he lived during the uh, World War II from 1945 to 1949. Uh, and the setting is in London in the year of 1984, some 30 years. Now, we don't know this for, for sure, but we think it's a nuclear war that happened, uh, that, 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 you know, the, that he was forecasting. And this led to a terrible rupture in, in the entire world and the recreation of a society. Uh, based on uh, essentially the Communist Party. Uh, the protagonist in the book is a man named Winston Smith, who is a mid-level functionary at, at, quote, the party. And the antagonist in the book, he's simply known as O'Brien. We don't know what his first name is. And he happens to be Smith's supervisor, and he turns out that he's a party enforcer. So the basic storyline, George, is that he paints this this picture of a dystopian world where the world is divided up into three superstates, uh, Oceania, Eurasia, and East Asia. And these three superstates are deadlocked in a permanent war, which is by design. Where he happens to live is in London, which is part of Oceania. It's the English-speaking world um, where the story plays out. But all three of these super states are ruled under different totalitarian uh, authorities. In Oceania's case, it, it's simply known as, quote, the party, which is a despotic oligarchical collective that is ideologically very similar to the regimes in power in the other two super states. The party's figurehead, and this is prominent throughout the book, is Big Brother. And even if you haven't read the book 1984, you yeah. have heard this term before. Yeah. So this is where it comes from. <laughs> this is where Big Brother comes from, uh, from 1984. And his mustachioed face is displayed on posters and coins everywhere in society and toward whom every citizen is compelled to feel love and allegiance. Um, the party is ruled um, by uh, the what's called the inner party, which is about 2% of the population. These are the elites in society. They control everything that happens in society. And um, uh, they, their, um, their wishes are actually carried out by what's known as the outer party. And Winston, the protagonist, is a member of this particular group. And this is a larger group. This is, a, you know, 10 to 13 percent of the, the population. These are functionaries who unquestionably carried out the orders of the inner party. Well, what about the rest of the population? Well, these are known simply as the proles, short for proletariat. And they're largely ignored in the book because they are judged to be intellectually and morally incapable of any organized revolt. In fact, Lenin, truthfully, 
in history had a, a, a disparaging term for these. He called them useful idiots. So, uh, and Orwell does a great job of playing this out in his book. Now, the party is structured around ministries, and there are four of them in particular, and they're housed in these great white pyramids. This is interesting, George. The first one is the Ministry of Peace, and their job is to conduct war. The second one is the Ministry of Plenty, and their job is to keep people in poverty. The third one is the Ministry of Truth, which controls all media and education. Their task is to produce propaganda, including sensational novels and pornography for the proles to distract them from realizing that they are actually the victims of state oppression. And the fourth one is the Ministry of Love, whose job is to maintain order in society. They are the enforcers. And in society, it doesn't matter where you go, you will see these posters plastered of Big Brother and the slogans that the party wants everybody to understand. And these are the slogans. War is peace. Freedom is slavery. Ignorance is strength. So to maintain power, um, of course, everybody has to be ruled under a surveillance state. And they had these things called, now you remember, this was published back in, yeah. you know, 1947. He, George Orwell, uh, talked about these things that he called the telescreen. So the party keeps its citizens under constant surveillance, monitoring even their thoughts, um, through use of this device. So this device can record and see everything that uh, is being done. And they can actually talk through the telescreens to communicate with the people. There's also the Ministry of Truth, the Thought Police, that, that carry out the orders of the Ministry of Truth. Well, the basic plot of the novel is that Winston is a member of the Outer Party. He works in the Ministry of Truth, where his job is to control the content and distribution of information on behalf of the party. And eventually he starts becoming awakened to what he increasingly knows as the big lie. And the story revolves around the course of that awakening and its ultimate tragedy. So, Church, we thought it would be fun to see if there were any comparisons between George Orwell's 1984 and what we see actually being played out in today's culture. So we're going to talk about uh, two levels of comparisons. One is very specific and one that are just general in nature. And there are some general comparisons, I think, that we can make. Number one, Big Brother is watching, right? No, there are definitely. there are cameras everywhere in our society, along with facial recognition. If you have a smart TV, if you have a smartphone, if you look, if you uh, use Siri and uh, Amazon's Echo, uh, these devices, whether you know it or not, they are always listening. Now, granted, you know, and here's a, a point we made earlier where it's not a perfect allegory. We're not saying any of these devices are being controlled by one organization, you know, the party. But George, the technology is there. I mean, you are always on whether you know it or not. Well, not not just that, but you have artificial intelligence that can data mine all of this stuff on behalf of any one of these organizations, and they can, you know, 
profit from it or benefit from it how how they how they please and this data mining is going on it's being yeah. done by corporations and the federal government as well including the national security organization so and through social media so you know certainly that part of of uh, his story is true the the second you know general comparison that's true is the arise of what we call the administrative state and this was that that term was penned first by a man named Dwight Waldo in 1948. But here's an interesting uh, statistic, George. Including contract workers, the federal administrative state in America is now about 10 million people. Say what? Uh, that's close to three percent of our population. Wow! And that does not include state and local government workers. Mm-hmm. Those employees average around 15% of the workforce in their given states. In California, state and local uh, employees is around 14%. So that when you put federal workers together with state and local government workers, it is a huge percentage of our population that Orwell would say comprises the administrative state. Mm -hmm. And the third general comparison is that we do tend to uh, have what Orwell defined as prole feed or proletarian feed. And this is a preoccupation in our society with trashy and or mindless entertainment for the masses. A homogeneity of news reporting where the major news outlets are all promoting the exact same kinds of news stories with the same opinion in those stories. And although the proles are not really considered a threat, the party takes precautions to ensure that they never really become a conscience of their powerlessness. And according to Marxist historians, George, the lower classes have traditionally been manipulated through the encouragement of behaviors like gambling, drinking, fornication, easy living. Yep. And do we see this being played out in society? You definitely do. I th- I think we do. I think there's a case to be made. Yeah, and, and th- there's no more diversity in the news, all, all of them. And when you look at how that happened, though, that's also very interesting because most of the, the major news outlets, be they you know radio, TV, online, are really owned by a handful of people. They are. They are. Uh, who all share the same worldview. Yeah. So this brings up now one of the more specific comparisons between 1984 and um, uh, and our culture today, particularly with regard to public education. The first one is this idea of the ministry of truth. Now, we may not have a singular ministry of truth, George, but we certainly have ministries of truth characterized by a shared progressive or woke orthodoxy. And we can just name, you know, the the prominent ones. Higher education, our college campuses today, are in effect ministries of truth where only one orthodoxy is permitted. The unions, the National Education Association, the California Teachers Association, the American Federation of Teachers, mainstream media, the American Medical Association, the American Psychological Association, all 
adhere now to the same kind of progressive ideology. They're walking in lockstep with each other. I just learned recently that my profession, uh, the American Bar Association, is toying with a proposal to require woke orthodoxy uh, for admittance into the legal profession. It hasn't happened yet, but it's on its way. Mm-hmm. Corporations uh, have the same thing. What corporation now of any major size does not have have a diversity, equity, and inclusion department in their HR department. That's, that's the Ministry of Truth. That's the Ministry of Truth. They they all do. And unfortunately, George, this also uh, happens in the Department of Education under the Biden administration, who we say who we see as pressing LGBT um, um, uh, promotion materials, and they want to change Title IX guidelines to advance uh, the the woke agenda. Yeah, Mark, and one one more thing, actually, while you mentioned the Biden administration, actually earlier this year in April, the Department of Homeland Security announced the creation of the first disinformation governance board, and it only survived about three weeks because all of the backlash – in, in April and May as yeah. a result of that announcement was about this, that they're creating an Orwellian state. <laughs> and they use that term. Yes, they use sure the they term. Did. Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately, George, uh, particularly with regard to the Ministry of Protect Our Kids, we see this happening all throughout K through 12 public education, which have turned into indoctrination camps for what we call the triple threat, sex and gender theory, critical race theory, social and emotional learning. In fact, queer theory in California was made law in 2015 and is now the law in over half the states in the country. Uh, critical race theory in the form of ethnic studies was made law in uh, 2021. And SEL, social emotional learning, has crept in everywhere in K-12 through public education. And Mark, this Ministry of Truth, you mentioned a lot of different areas that's being, you know, propagated through. But we actually just experienced one on our own skin recently with MailChimp, right? Uh, we did indeed. It's a fine organization, but um, one of our, our posts recently was flagged by their artificial intelligence software as being against their community guidelines. Mm -hmm. And fortunately, we were able to resolve it. But our account for our newsfeed on MailChimp was suspended for about two weeks. So, George, this is everywhere. So the ministry of truth, uh, certainly we have ministries of truth that are well at work in American society today. Well, there's a second one that I think is right on point with, uh, with Orwell's predictions. And that is the thought police. Mm. Now, let me read you a quote from Orwell. The thought police were appointed to keep a constant watch over party members for signs of unorthodox opinions and instincts. Elaborate mental training for children was developed that teaches them to avoid unorthodox and therefore dangerous thoughts. This is called crime stop. Well, where do we see this today? Well, certainly, as we've already mentioned, in corporate HR departments yes. and woke school administrators are now punishing teachers and employees and in many cases terminating them for not showing sufficient woke allegiance. And what are their crimes? 
not acknowledging preferred pronouns, uh, not ascribing to the implied bias training or unconscious bias training that we we all get on a yearly basis now in in corporations, uh, or even if we object to gender neutral bathrooms or locker rooms, right? Uh, just just this week, Mark, I was reading about girls, a couple girls that were uh, disciplined for not willing to, um, you know, allow a, a male in their locker room to be changing in front of them. I mean, that's how crazy this, this thought police is getting. Yeah. In fact, I just read a story this week where a Georgia substitute teacher was terminated for expressing concern to school officials about the sex and gender theory that her own child was being exposed to. Not that she was teaching herself in her classrooms, But for merely expressing this concern, the principal called her in and said, quote, every educator that walks into this building, regardless of personal views, they have to drop their biases at the door. It just has to be done. And Georgie was terminated from her position Say as what? a substitute teacher. Now, this is happening all over the country, and it started uh, a number of years ago with this famous case involving Jack Phillips, who is the, the baker at the mm-hmm. Masterpiece Cake Shop in, in Colorado. And he has been continually sued for refusing to make cakes celebrating LGBT uh, themes. In fact, there was a recent article uh, reported by The Federalist where most recently the, a transgender activist named Autumn Scardina requested a custom cake with a blue exterior and a pink interior symbolizing gender transition. Scardina, who was almost certainly the same person who called Masterpiece later to order a cake with an image of Satan smoking marijuana, knew the baker would turn the offer down. I was stunned Scardina lied to the Colorado Civil Rights Commission, later admitting that the activism was about wanting to, quote, correct the errors in Phillips' thinking, a thought crime, merely for believing the wrong thing. You're going to be punished. And that comes back to Crime Stop, right? That's what he was trying to do. It does indeed. And here's the most, here's the most concerning element to this. Children now, George, are being turned into thought police. Mm -hmm. We're, We're teaching them to report on their parents as, quote, spiritual abusers if their parents don't go along with their preferred gender pronouns or their gender dysphoria and report that to school officials. In fact, Child Protective Services is now removing uh, children from parents' homes for so-called medical neglect. Uh, Dr. Michelle Critella, who's the executive director uh, for the American College of Pediatricians, has tracked this alarming trend, and it's come in waves. Wave one we being where child custody disputes, so this is a parent, parents who are getting divorced, for example, yep. and you have a child who's gender dysphoric, and one child is conservative and wants the child to outgrow this and, and come to recognize their biological gender. The other parent is all for transitioning. And courts are now stepping in and removing children from the conservative parent and giving them to the progressive parents. On these grounds, George, so that's wave one that she pointed out. Wave two, and I've seen this in my own personal life, is where emergency room staff, therapists, and doctors are reporting on parents 
who refuse to advance their child's gender transition. In fact, my daughter, when she was about 15 years old, she had choked on a piece of chicken. It got lodged in, in her esophagus. We took her into the local hospital. And when they found out that she was adopted and homeschooled, they put her aside into a separate room and started interrogating her about how fit her mom and I were to be her parents. So yeah, this was a, a long time ago, but that wow. actually happened. Wave three, George, is when schools themselves trigger investigations into parents of children suffering from gender dysphoria by reporting children afraid to come out to their parents as their authentic selves. The end goal is the, is the same, Critella said, removal of a child based on accusations of media neglect. Medical, and I will leave, medical neglect. Medical ne- me- neglect. And I will leave you with this quote from, from George Orwell. The family could not actually be abolished, he writes in his novel. And indeed, people were encouraged to be fond of their children in almost the old-fashioned way. The children, on the other hand, were systematically turned against their parents and taught to spy on them and report their deviations. The family had become, in effect, an extension of the thought police. It was a device by means of which everyone could be surrounded night and day by informers who knew him intimately. You know, Mark, this quote reminds me of how the Old Testament ends in Malachi 4, 6, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. And the devil always wants to do the opposite. He does indeed. Uh, thank you, everyone, for hearing this episode and listening to us and following uh, Protect Our Kids. Uh, please go onto our website, um, go on Apple's, uh, Apple iTunes, Spotify, wherever you like listening to us. Um, we also have our YouTube channel. Um, if you want Mark and I to come and speak to your church or local parent group, hit the speaker button. Um, and if you're willing to support our ministry through a, a faithful financial donation, um, there's a donate button as well on the front page of our website. Um, until next time on Say What. You've been listening to Say What, the radio ministry of Protect Our Kids, where they seek to inform and equip concerned citizens about the crisis in American public education and the forces working against our children. Join us at this same time every Saturday as attorney Mark Schneider and Pastor George Roska Jr. unpack the issues so that we can better safeguard our nation's children. For more information about this program or Protect Our Kids, email the show at info at protectourkidsnow.org. That's info at protectourkidsnow.org. And join Mark and George right here next week at this same time for another episode of Say What. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.